Hey guys. I um, have been mulling over something I thought I'd throw it out there for discussion regarding to the Trinity and just the apostolic message, what the apostles seem to have as the core uh, and the emphasis of their message and how it's pretty different, seems, than a lot of what modern evangelicalism, you know, what we focus on, whether it be the triunity of God or the divinity of, of Jesus, neither of which I'm bringing into question, but more so <laughs> just how that doesn't seem to be at the forefront of, of the the apostles, you know, uh, emphasis even on, on like the mystery that's been revealed isn't so much that Jesus is actually, or the Messiah is actually going to be God. It seems like, you know, in Hebrews 1, <laughs> uh, what the writer is, you know, working through it, like the different passages in the Psalms, emphasizing that it, there is a lot written, you know, that shows the divinity of the Messiah, like Psalm, Psalm 110, you know, that's what Jesus quotes to the Pharisees that the Lord, you know, David's Lord, David's master, you know, David is the highest king, you know, in, you know, whatever, in Israel. And he's saying there's a master, you know, pointing to that there is one higher than he is, you know, and then this Messiah is going to be higher than the angels, superior, like, you know, this, those four different passages that he works through in Hebrews 1. Um, so, I mean, that there is that level of like em emphasis, but, but I don't, but it kind of seems like our modern expression has made the divinity of the, di the divinity of Jesus, the, um, you know, core point of the, the mystery revealed in the New Testament. And so I've just kind of been processing that. And I mean, cause that, that's a lot of like what we, you know, I mean, obviously those are things that we need, we, the church has wrestled with over the, you know, over church history with the, some of these concepts. I'm not so familiar with some of the um, councils that have, uh, you know, dealt with these issues. Um, so maybe somebody else has kind of studied that more. I'd like to hear, you know, how they, uh, I don't know, whatever. Like, I guess basically how the, the apostolic doctrine, how, you know, what's, how that either differs or, whatever, you know, when it comes to our common view of, like, the Trinity um, and, like, Jesus being fully God and fully man, you know, I mean, I feel like that's been a huge thing that I've had emphasized, which is which is true. Um, but, yeah, just how that can kind of get tangled up from the, or untangled from the uh, from the original simplicity of the, 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 the gospel message. So, anyway, if you guys have any thoughts, love to hear them. Hey, Jake. Hey, so uh, I had some thoughts on that right away when you said that. Uh, first and foremost, the um, the apostles obviously were very grounded in the law and the prophets. So we take that for granted in so many ways. And because of that, what we see is creeds happening in like the third, mostly the third century, century not century, <laughs> in the century. And that's when the Catholics, the Roman Catholic Church had taken over, the Greek Orthodox and all that was, those two were establishing, you know, in that, in the later centuries there. And there was lots of heresies forming around the divinity of Jesus and against the Trinity, you know, modalism and, you know, the nature, the, the um, ontology of God. 
And so, therefore, um, creeds will come up to protect the apost- not you know, the apostolic understanding, but in more of a um, progressed understanding of of uh, non-Jews and Greek fathers <laughs> of the of the faith. And so, it's getting it was getting messy in those centuries, as you have Justin Martyr and others that believe some things solid and some things really off, and they're all off in base off the base when they get off the covenant of Israel. And, and so then you got, um, as, as time went on, now you get all these Gentiles writing councils to protect what was just inerrant in the teaching of the apostles, being that God is God and being that he was going to send his Messiah, and therefore God is triune in the witness of scriptures. So in the time of the apostles, it was the Jewish uh, adherence to the law and the prophets and then understanding Jesus as the Messiah that gave clarity on sound doctrine so they didn't have to teach that Jesus was divine except in times like First uh, John where the Gnostic heresy was starting to, starting to take root and um, they had to keep uh, that clarity before the people that Jesus indeed came in the flesh and Jesus indeed is eternal life, etc. So um, what, what we're doing when we talk about the Trinity is talking about how, what kind of language people put on what Scripture implicitly teaches, especially clear and implicit in uh, the original understanding of the covenants and the Law and the Prophets, and therefore, um, you know, we've got such a history of Gentilizing the Scriptures that that's why um, we tend to wrestle with this this, uh, reality of the Trinity and the divinity and all that kind of stuff. Long answer, but hopefully that helps. Oh, yeah, uh, one last little thought I forgot I was going to throw in there. Like, the time of the Targums and the intertestamental teachings um, have some really good teachings on um, basically the Logos, Logos, and, and the, um, uh, the Word. In the, in the beginning was, was God, and the Word was with God. Um, there's some good teachings on in that um, era of the intertestamental times, too, that um, clearly show where, you know, they originally get the idea of God being Trinitarian. Hey, Jake. Um, just, I don't have a deep answer for you. I, I, I've uh, I've just come across some good resources that, that I might just want to point out. Um, uh, first, uh, just two, two guys that have talked about it. Michael Brown has gone into it a little bit in some of his Answering Jewish Objections resources and um but Mike Heiser has gone into uh a lot of detail on uh on the ancient Jewish understanding of of a uh of a plurality in God. And it's and it's based on really, really excellent scholarship. It's not uh it's not, you know, Elohim is plural so if they always knew God was it's it's really very solid. So so anyways, those are two guys. Michael Brown, um, I'm not sure if you can dig out some of those resources, but, but, uh, but, cause they're kind of buried in books. But, um, but if you Google Michael Heiser and, um, Jewish Trinity, I think you'll find some resources of his. Hope that's helpful, man. That's helpful for me, Bill. I'm gonna eat them up. Thanks so much. Hey guys. Definitely, it was really good to see many of you this past weekend. Um, and Jake, great thoughts, um, great questions. Um, for me, you know, I've done a little bit of, a little bit of studying and, and 
pondering and thinking and, you know, with with uh, really what's happened with me kind of in this whole worldview revolution um, and seeing the scriptures more um, more from a obviously from a Jewish perspective instead of from a, a Greek or Gentile perspective. One of the ways that that that's really changed for me, um, really in viewing the divinity of Jesus um, is how. The, the, the apostles really spoke about it and, and how they emphasized it. And, you know, I love what you said, Jeremy. I mean, there's so much in the, in the Targums, um, you know, relating to the idea of John 1 and the word, uh, the Logos and the, the Memra uh, of the Lord. You know, Michael Brown definitely talks about that um, in, in one of his videos. Uh, but one of the things that I really have noticed uh, is the way that they often speak about the divinity of Jesus uh, is, is in a way that, is thoroughly Jewish in, in the sense of, uh, you know, they, they don't use Greek terms um, to describe the one true God of Israel. They, they don't say he is immaterial or he is impassable or he's omnipresent or he's omniscient or he's in him omni. You know, there's, there's in him and omni prefixes. They're all, uh, they're all in essence negations of something. And so we say we are, passable we're able to be harmed therefore god is impassable or we say we are present you know in one specific location and therefore god is omnipresent in other words it's a negation or something that is the complete opposite of anything that we've ever known uh, and you know that of course is just a, a straight pull from greek philosophy um you know the the idea that um you know you had levels of of certain uh, certain gods in in the Greek sphere that you know one god was a little bit more um, uh, omnipresent than the other ones, or you know there there was in other words there was a hierarchy of divinity, and you had the greatest god, the most powerful one, and then you had lesser divinities beneath that. Uh, so you know sadly that gets transposed over to uh, over to Christianity, of course, um, in the way that. You know, we go, oh, well, Jesus, because he's God, Jesus is omnipresent or Jesus is, you know, uh, omniscient or Jesus is impassable, you know, unable to be harmed. Jesus is im in omnis. All those ins and ims and omnis that we ascribe to Jesus, that, of course, the, the apostles never ascribe to Jesus at all. Why? Because the apostles are Jewish. So the the main way, I mean, you, you look in the Old Testament, uh, specifically, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of passages in Isaiah right now. I think it's Isaiah 44 and 45. Uh, huge monotheistic um, assertions of the one God of Israel uh, in in there. And and for instance, you know, they uh, there. I think it's Isaiah 44, 45. Don't know off the top of my head, but um, you know, it says there, I am Yahweh. AKA, you know, using his covenantal name bound to Israel. I am Yahweh, and apart from me, there's no other. I alone created all things, and I have no helpers. So that's just one example. But he said there, I alone created all things. So he had no helpers. And so when you come to the New Testament, you see statements from the apostles about. Jesus is the one who created all things. Okay, so these are monotheistic Jews believing in one God, unlike the pagan nations who have many gods. And they say, no, for us, there is one God. Uh, and, you know, it's it's the Shema. It's, it's Deuteronomy 6.4. It's, you know, um, uh, hero Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. Um, you shall love the Lord your God. You, you know, Deuteronomy 6. So, 
So the idea for them to communicate the divinity of Jesus wasn't even necessarily, you know, a, a uh, directly in a Trinitarian way saying, well, here you have the Father and then Jesus is the Son who's also God and then you have the Holy Spirit who's also God. Of course, we see that uh, and, and you know, like uh, like you mentioned, Jeremy, I mean, that's where the um, uh, where the creeds come in, which is, you know, primarily because of a Gentile, now Gentile leadership in the church and Greek philosophy and its its integration into Christianity after that point and, you know, Origen uh, and after his death and in, in, I think it was 254 that Origen died and so on, you know, onward from there, you get all sorts of integration between Greek philosophy and Christianity because of Origen's, uh, Origen's methods. Um, you know, and I mean, Origen was eventually condemned in, in the 500. I think 553, somewhere around there, um, Origen was condemned as a heretic. But no one really undermined, and 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 not undermined, but no one really, um, I guess, addressed the methods by which he arrived at his conclusions. The, the church condemned his conclusions, but you know it was his underlying Platonism which drove him to those conclusions. And you know, I mean, you had Tertullian in the early church, but no one else was really fighting against the methods by which he arrived at his conclusions. And so, of course, you know, that was that was the way that Greek philosophy moved forward in the church. Um, so. So anyways, back to the divinity of Jesus, I, I think that you get this idea of, of um, you know, him being called Jesus, being called the creator. So John one, you know, it, yes, it's clear in John one that that Jesus is the Word, uh, which you know relate that to the Jewish Targums. He was the Memra, um, and and the Memra, uh, the way that that the Targums or, or these commentaries on the Old Testament by the rabbis, they would always associate the Word of the Lord with the things that that Yahweh Himself did. Um, but then you know you get John one, um, and you know some of the biggest statements or the biggest statement of of uh, at least from a Jewish perspective, I, I feel in John one of saying that Jesus is divine uh, is um, let's see it's it's where is it uh, it's not that light um, yeah it's verse three John one three all things were made through him um, and without him not anything was made that was made and so for him to be called the creator of all things that Yahweh alone was the creator of all things, per a monotheistic Jew's understanding of Isaiah 40, again, I'm pretty sure it's Isaiah 44 or 45, um, you know, that, that they would go, oh, well, okay, Yahweh alone created everything, and now this word, the word of the Lord, the Memra, was the one who created everything. So, I mean, I, I think there's categorically, there's there's uh, uh, several categories that, that can um, really be ascribed to who Jesus is um, as the Lord as the God of Israel, um, and and there's a there was a book that I read. Um, you know, I don't really ascribe to everything he says in the book, but um, Richard Bauckham uh, has a book called Jesus and the God of Israel, um, and and in that book he lays out uh, kind of five main categories of what how the Jews would have understood the one true God, uh, and and if, if I remember right, it was that he was the creator of all things the ruler over all things, the sovereign ruler over all, seated in the heavens. Um, he was the one who makes covenants, um, establishes a covenant with Israel, and, and the only one who establishes covenants with Israel. Um, he is, uh, he's the one who delivered Israel from Egypt, um, you know, and, and the God of the Exodus. Um, you know, and then you get, you get a passage like um, in, I think it's Jude, uh, like Jude 
verse 4, verse 5, or something like that, um, when it says Jesus or the Lord is the one, you know, in context, it's it's uh, the verse before. It just talks about Jesus being the, the Lord. Uh, and then it says the Lord Jesus is the one who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Um, so right there, you know, it was another major ascription to his divinity. Uh, and then the fact that he alone is worthy of worship. Um, so those five categories are, are what Richard Bauckham sets forth in his book. Um, you know, and, and I, I tend to like that just because it just feels much more much more Jewish to me, you know, um, using the law and the prophets uh, and, of course, the Targums um, to to really establish what they would have thought about the one true God, um, you know, and at least what the apostles would have thought. So um, hope that helps. Hey, guys, this is such a good conversation. Uh, stirs me up, encourages me to uh, continue to, to dive in to uh, sharpening up these these uh you know doctrinal things uh one one thing i wanted to mention just even in the context of uh, uh giving witness to a, a muslim uh because this is such a big issue with with that and of course others as well but um and and of course with jew but uh <coughs> sorry i just wanted to say that uh, so many people, they come over here, you know, or wherever they're, they're engaging, uh, Muslims and, and they want to, you know, kind of go to battle with them over these issues, Trinity and, and, uh, Son of God kind of stuff, divinity of, of Jesus stuff. And, um, and there is a place for that, I guess, uh, for, for sure there's a place for it, but, um, they, maybe not realizing that, that Muslims are kind of they grow up and trained in this rote memorization of the of all the points against uh you know everything you're about to say <laughs> regarding the divinity of Jesus and uh trinity and all that. So um what it what really excites me and I and I hope to encourage uh, encourage in relation to the question is um is actually the gospel timeline um that we all you know love so much um and and I think, um, you know, presenting the gospel in a way that, like Stephen did, um, not Stephen Holmes, though, that was an awesome message, um, powerful uh, at, the, at the conference. But what I mean is uh, Stephen, who was martyred, um, and, then, and then also, you know, the way he just lays out the history of the things. Because you can't, you can't deny that... Uh, that the way that Muslims typically go about go about talking about Jesus, or even, or even Western Christians, you know, um, in regards to the Greek thought and the, the Platonic uh, worldview. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Um, the way that it, that he's presented is well, we've already. I mean, he's got you guys have already. Um, said all these things, but the way that it's presented is very platonic and um, not, it's it's kind of like a whole other story. It's, where's the story? What is the story? And, how, and does does this even make sense that we'd be talking about this right now? Uh, we really need um, to focus on things like, what does Messiah mean? <laughs> you know, especially with Muslims that they actually give him the title um, El-Masih, you know, the Messiah. But they think that it just means some, they, they don't know. They don't know what it means. 
anyway, to be able to tell the story really uh, and connect it from Genesis to Revelation is very difficult then because, of course, they're going to deny the, the uh, uh, you know, you have to get into the Bible's been changed, the Bible's this or that, corrupted, that kind of thing. And, and um, you know, at that point, you can really show, well, there seems to be quite a story from Genesis to Revelation. I don't know, you know, how you... Uh, going to change that and make it all work out but um the st- the story that has been changed is the way that anybody after has come along false prophets and false teachers including Muhammad um anyway not to make this all about Islam or anything but it is a, ma- a major challenge in our day i just wanted to add that to the to the discussion and mostly say um the emphasis seems to be with Stephen, with Paul at Athens, you know, you get the progression, you get the story, you get the story. And I think that's pretty huge. And it excites me and stirs me up to, to, uh, present the story. Um, and then you can deal with Trinity talk a whole lot easier. You get in, you, at that point, once you've already laid out the story, it's all about Israel and all that. You, you can get into the, the, you know, early, early, uh, you know, the first century Jewish ideas of, of, uh, Trinity type stuff, you know, or a plurality of God. And, um, you can talk about Heiser stuff. You can talk about Targums. You can do all that. If you've already established a non-philosophical, you know, esoteric kind of way of talking about God, and it's just, very connected to history and what God's done, and this is the story. So, just wanted to encourage us with, uh, you know, or you know, whatever, with this uh, answer the question in that way. So, good stuff, guys. Uh, keep it coming. It's exciting. Peace. Mm, good stuff, Matt, and uh, everybody else who <laughs> shared. Just that's, um, yeah, definitely what I've been looking for. I didn't get to. Check out the Heiser resource on the uh, Jewish Trinity. I didn't have three and a half hours to plow through that, but that's definitely what I wanted to kind of explore is the Jewish concept of the Trinity, you know, that would have been already existent. Because one of the things I was thinking about, too, is the stumbling block for the Jews was Messiah crucified, not Messiah God, man. Although, you know, I did think about the passage in, I think it's John 8 or wherever, where they're wanting to stone Jesus. And it, it, I, I might be mixing a couple passages together, but where he says, you know, for what work do you stone me? He says, you know, it's because you, being a man, claim to be God. Um, maybe that's two different passages, but where he, after he says, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And so either the Pharisees uh, were not um, expecting, the, yeah, whatever, like the Messiah to have the divinity, or, or or either that or that they didn't think that Nazarene was who he was claiming to be, you know, um, which I probably would think it would be the second is that they were, they didn't, because he didn't come, you know, with the pomp and grandeur that they were expecting but as you know kind of a simple dude from Nazareth (laughs) anyway so um, yeah like I said I I really appreciate the insight too into um, like I think some Josh Hawkins you were saying um, 
about the uh, sort of the Greek um, ideas about God rather than the the nature of God being connected to history rather than you know just ideas about God like um, and and then how that kind of gets us connected with the timeline. That's a Matt, you know, that you were saying too is um, with sharing the gospel with Muslims is the value of of bringing them into the story, walking them through the story of the scriptures, rather than kind of picking a picking one particular point that isn't whatever the the core of the the gospel message. Anyway, so yeah, I appreciate it and um, love to hear more. Matt, Jake, so good. Love it. Um, I, I think that really when you get into the timeline idea, um, you know, really telling a story like they did in Acts, like Stephen did, like Paul did in Acts 17, um, you know, it's especially Acts 17. I think that that can be very, um, very uh, important to the discussion just because, you know, I mean, he's talking to the Areopagus, he's talking to Greeks who are polytheistic and and what does he do well you know he describes who the one true god is by saying he made you uh, and uh he he's appointed one man <laughs> uh to judge the world in righteousness so it's kind of an abbreviated timeline there in Acts 17 but but he very much so gives the timeline uh, and he says you know the proof that he's given of of this story of of this one storyline is that Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, has been raised from the dead, uh, and so yeah, that was that was the proof for them. Uh, so, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention too um, that I'm thinking of it is the fact that you know really it's the this Platonic uh, framework is is more. I would think that it's probably more of a Western framework just because of the development of, of the worldview in the West. I mean, if you go, I mean, I'm guessing probably, you know, in Nepal, for instance, um, I'm guessing that, you know, the issue really isn't necessarily platonic directly as it is here in the West. I mean, you know, it, it just, they're by nature of where Alexander conquered and where Greek, you know, thought was spread to, um, you know, the, the Far East really doesn't have you know, as much uh, influence there. I mean, they've got their own systems of thought and, you know, with Hinduism and all of that. So, uh, so you know, we, we kind of have a unique problem here in the West. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's really informative, Matt, you know, talking about the Muslim context. And, and I, I completely agree. You tell the story, that's exactly what the apostles did in Acts. Um, that's exactly, you know, that, that's really what's going to uh, raise the, the more important issues, you know, rather than, I mean, yes, I'm not saying the divinity of Jesus is an important issue, um, but, you know, when you see from the prophets that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the covenantal God of Israel, was going to come and do very specific things, and, you know, then you go, oh, my gosh, well, he's the servant of, of Yahweh, he is the memra of Yahweh, he is... Um, you know, he's Yahweh himself who, you know, promised that he would come and do certain things. And then, oh, look, he, he's doing it. And, you know, I mean, so Jesus asserting, asserting that divinity, is asserting who he is in context to the Old Testament prophets uh, before, you know, before the, the Jewish authorities. Um, I mean, he's, he's doing so much of that. Uh, and, you know, it's all in context of the story. And so, um, yeah, anyways, really good, Matt, really good, Jake. Love the observations, love the thoughts. Um, I just kind of 
threw in a couple of random ones there, but I would love to hear more from other people too. Love you guys. Hey Jake, another um, another resource for you. I'm not sure what the YouTube was that was shown earlier. I'm, I'm guessing it was a Heiser uh, video where he was talking about the uh, um, the lesser Yahweh. Perhaps uh, is, is a term that he's kind of come up with recently. I don't know that he's come up with it, but it's one that he uses a lot. Um, in, in Jewish thought. Actually, he's not the one. He, he talks about a, a Jewish man back in, I think, in the 90s who wrote a book about the uh, subject matter. So, But another resource, and perhaps one from a, a Jewish perspective that might be interesting for you, is a man named Yitzhak Shapira. Uh, so it's basically Isaac. It's just spelled in the normal Hebrew way. Um, he's a uh, he's a Jewish man, his father was, I think his father or his grandfather was one of the head rabbis in the Iraqi synagogue before Saddam Hussein took over. Um, it's kind of forced out. They made Aliyah to Israel. He basically grew up in Israel. And then they, somebody of his family uh, came over here to America. Shortly after he came over here to America, he went into a synagogue on Yom Kippur and was amazed to find everybody celebrating, because normally Yom Kippur is a day of um, mourning and introspection and sadness as people consider their sins, and this synagogue was celebrating, and he was like, what in the world? So he talked to the uh, rabbi afterwards, and he was basically shown, he was given a New Testament which he promptly just kind of put away and didn't really look at for a long time. But then as he began, finally began to read it, uh, he came to the Lord and then just went on like a 12-year mission to search out the Hebrew uh, extra-biblical writings, Talmud, Mishnahs, Gemara. Gemara is similar to the Talmud. It's, I think it's just another name, actually. Um, the various writings of, of all sorts, just trying to investigate and find out what it is that the, that Israel was supposed to be expecting as far as their Messiah goes, and uh, that led to a book that he put out last year called The Return of the Kosher Pig, um, which has its own, and he, he describes in the book as well as other places why he called it that, um, and it has to do with something in Jewish writing. Uh, he writes this book, Return of the Kosher Pig. It's a couple hundred pages. I have a copy if you're ever interested in looking into it. Um, a little bit more, but I know you're busy, so um, you know, we'll just kind of wait and see how things go. But if you look up Ahavat Ami, A-H-A-V-A-T space A-M-M-I, that's his uh, ministry, Ahavat Ami, for the love of my people. And he has a YouTube channel as well, which I'll try to forward on to you so you can look at it. He's got a lot of uh, a little more, you know, smaller bite-sized snippets to go over some of this stuff. And he gets into the divinity of the Messiah. So he he has on several occasions tried to downplay his belief in the Trinity. He, he doesn't believe in the Trinity per se, he says. But when he describes what he does think, it doesn't sound all that different from the Trinity. And so... Um, so anyway, I'll just kind of I'll, I'll forward it on, let you kind of take a look at it. Uh, like I said, it's definitely from a Jewish perspective, not a Western one.